Thank you for setting your podcast out of 14th and G. I'm your host, Dean Hingson. Round and round the mulberry bush, the monkey chased the weasel. We are officially in the musical chairs period of the incoming Biden administration. In a series of tightly scripted events, the president-elect has begun introducing his cabinet and White House staff to the American people, complete with podium wiper between each speaker. Some of these officials, such as the National Security Advisor, considered inferior officers under the Constitution, are completely within the president's power to hire and fire. But most of the names we've seen so far, cabinet secretaries, deputy secretaries, directors, are considered principal officers and will require the advice and consent of the Senate. Assuming Republicans hold their two Senate seats in Georgia, maintaining control of the Senate, Joe Biden would be the first newly elected Democratic president to come into office without his party controlling the Senate in over well over 100 years. That split control of Congress has obvious implications for his agenda down the road, but its first and most immediate impact will be in the selection, review, and confirmation of the principal officers the president-elect selects to run his government. That's why I'm so pleased to be joined by my good friend and a colleague here at the firm who's been through this process himself to break it all down. Steve Harrow was nominated by President Obama as Deputy Secretary of Commerce for Legislative Affairs, a position for which he was unanimously confirmed by the Senate. He's also been Chief of Staff to two Democratic Senators, Martin Heinrich of New Mexico and Dianne Feinstein of California. And if he's not a master sommelier, well, he ought to be. The man knows his wines. <laughs> Steve Harrow, welcome to 14th and G. Thank you, Dean. What a wonderful introduction. You're always so so good and kind to me. Well, it goes both ways, Steve. Hey, let's start with what we've seen officially announced so far from the Biden transition. Uh, two big rollouts, one in the national security space and again in the economic space. A lot of familiar names like Janet Yellen at Treasury, Anthony Blinken at State. What do these initial slates of nominees tell you about the direction Biden wants to take his administration? Professional. These are technocrats. These are public servants. These are people who have been around the block, who have seen difficult situations, stared them down, taken them on and been successful and know how to surround themselves with good people, know how to uh, say no to their bosses so they can both manage up and manage down. And they can also communicate to the public in ways that we need to hear. You know, sometimes, you know, we need to take our medicine, Dean, and we need to be able to, we need to be able to listen to what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. And all of these folks thus far, uh, to the T, you know, from Anthony Blinken at State, to Janet Yellen uh, at Treasury, to, to Wally as Deputy Secretary, Wally Ademo as Deputy Secretary of Treasury, uh, Avril Haynes as the DNI, all of these folks, just top-notch professionals who are going to make the president proud and going to make America proud to have these people serving in these really critical positions. It's it's always a sort of a, a tough line to walk there between uh, the technocratic and the political. Any concerns yes. there that, that you know, some of these folks may, may be, I mean, I think of Janet Yellen at Treasury, uh, who has been, you know, who is sort of the textbook technocrat, uh, has run the Federal Reserve, but you wonder how much of an ear she has for the political. Well, and I think that that's, look, you need somebody 
who's going to know the job. And then you also make sure that you surround them uh, with good deputies, with good assistants who are going to be able to serve them properly with good political advice. So, yeah, look, I, I, I think what you say about about future Treasury Secretary uh, Yellen about maybe lack of political experience, that's okay. That's okay. But Deputy Secretary of Treasury nominee, Wally Demo, he's been around the block. Right. He knows. They're going to put some. They're going to put some other folks there at Treasury who's going to know, and they're going to advise her best uh, on on the political uh, implications of it. And at the same time, you know, there is there is a symbiosis between these cabinet agencies and the White House, and the White House is also going to have a political antenna there as well. So there's there's always going to be a lot of coordination on this. I I am less worried about the political instincts of. A, a cabinet secretary than I am about the ability to run her or his department effectively and get change implemented. Well, their first uh, foray here is going to be political. Uh, of course, this is only the beginning sure. of the process for many of these folks. They'll have to get through Mitch McConnell's Senate first. The Senate filibuster no longer applies to the president's nominees, so they can be confirmed by simple majority. But with party control of the Senate in opposition to the president, Steve, it's a little bit of back to the future and more like the Senate you and I worked in, where the president had to find nominees that could at least garner a handful of supporting votes from the other party. So if there are 48 Senate Democrats that are going to back the Biden nominee, you're going to have to find three or four Republicans at minimum to get them over the line. Yes. And, you know, and, and look, Ironically, I kind of feel, Dean, that we're in a place now, and Back to the Future is a good, a good way to describe it. We're, we're kind of in a place now where we're, unfortunately, I think, getting three or four members of the other party to, to vote with you is now a more difficult endeavor than it used to be to get 12 or 13 members of the other party to vote with you to get over Back 60. Back when you had to right? get to 60, right. Yeah, yeah. So... I, I recognize that that is going to be a hurdle. You know, there have been murmurs, you know, around the hill from people like Lindsey Graham and others who said the president deserves, uh, the president-elect deserves his cabinet. And so, you know, perhaps there will be some, you know, some some concessions made there to not play, you know, the rough and tumble politics so early with everybody. I've noticed that there has not been too much adverse reaction to the cabinet secretary positions that will require the cabinet and deputy secretary positions that will require Senate confirmation have not been met with too much resistance, except for one, uh, the OMB nominee thus far. And I, I would also challenge folks to come up with good reasons why people like Anthony Blinken, who's you know was a longtime uh, member of the civil service at state, and, and Alejandro Mayorkas, who you know has already been Senate confirmed, Avril Haines, who's long time within the intelligence agencies, uh, just a very, very smart technocrat. I, I, I challenge folks to give a viable, ju justifiable reason as to why they do not deserve to get the vote. And we're, well, we're going to see. But you're right. It's, it's pure politics. But we also have to get these people in these positions to get to work. It, it is. It is politics. A lot of it is, Steve. And of course, no president. Uh, staffs up without controversy. Biden has his own s special set of considerations. He's been in office nearly five decades. Uh, a lot of those folks he's worked with over that time expecting administration jobs. You add to that his commitment to diversity. 
women, LGBT, Black and Latino nominees. Uh, we've already heard concern from senior Congressman Jim Clyburn and civil rights leaders about the number of Black cabinet nominees. How's Biden navigating all of this in your view? You know, I, I think he is doing a very good job here. What I have told friends and colleagues and, and clients and, and others who have, who have brought this up, I've had discussions with, I recommend patience. Today, you know, you and I are, are sitting down recording this, I believe, on December 3rd. We are only one month from what was a very fascinating election day that spread into a fascinating, you know, few weeks of, you know, learning the certification process throughout the states of, you know, <laughs> what actually happens post-election. You know, and, and most most president-elects, they have learned that they're the president-elect shortly after shortly after election day. That didn't happen here. We're already on kind of a weird, unique, delayed process. And yet the Biden-Harris transition team has rolled out more nominees in a shorter amount of time frame than did Trump or, or Obama did. Uh, you know, President Obama, his first, his first nominee was rolled out on November 24th. That was Timothy Geithner. And then they did not start rolling out more nominees until December 14th. Wow. I didn't so we already, yeah. So we already have eight cabinet level uh, secretary and deputy secretary nominees rolled out. We know who they are. We, we, we've seen uh, uh, most of the, the major names, positions of the senior staff at the White House name. And, and I'll tell you what, in your topper, you talked about the difference between the Senate confirmed cabinet folks and then the, you know, the, the, the principal staff, they're going to serve the president in the White House. I have zero concerns with the diversity and inclusion metrics and optics of what has, what has happened with the White House staff. I mean, not only do you have consummate professionals, but man, do they look like America. So, but on, on, on the rest of the cabinet aspect that you asked about, patience. All right, Steve, we've eaten our vegetables. Time for dessert. Let's play the parlor <laughs> game. <laughs> this, this is always the fun part, right? And, and you know, it was funny, Dean. We, we did, the last time I was on, on your podcast, it was before the election, we, we, we did some cabinet speculation. I have to go back and listen to see uh, how wrong I was. <laughs> <laughs> well, who's going to have a chair when the music stops? Uh, let's start with your former agency, the Department of Commerce. Who you got on your short yes. list? So short list, there's some, there's some great names here. You're hearing a lot about Mignon Clyburn, uh, former SEC commissioner, very talented fully capable, ready, you know, she'd be ready to go on day one. Another person uh, whose stock is rising, who I'm hearing about is Ursula Burns, former uh, um, CEO of Xerox, which would just be a, a fantastic pick. Uh, I'm also hearing uh, that Oscar Munoz is, is on the list. Oscar Munoz is the former CEO of United Airlines. And then, I've, and then I've also heard about Andrew Yang, the entrepreneur who was the former presidential candidate. So, I do not anticipate the commerce pick coming imminently. I think that is probably going to be a pick. If we, if we hear about it, if, if it's made in 2020, it will be made closer to Christmas. I think we're going to see some other picks come out first before that. You know, a lot of this, candidates are getting vetted. Candidates are being considered. The president and the vice president are, you know, weighing their options. But this is, this is a game of dominoes, right? right. You know, because you are you are committed to creating a diverse cabinet. And so, you know, once you make one choice that can affect the other choices down the line. 
And so, you know, I, I do think it is interesting the way the cabinet nominees have been rolled out thus far. We're, we're hearing that, you know, kind of health is next, probably as early as next Monday. And so, you know, who you put there, when you make that final decision, that's going to affect your downstream choices because of your commitment to diversity. Right. So I think commerce is, I, I think commerce, though I would put commerce in the economic bucket, uh, I, it, it was not included in that first, you know, treasury uh, treasury round, that's okay, but that does mean that it will be put off a little bit, I think, for a while until they get some of the others done. Well, Steve, you're a Westerner, and uh, when I when I think of Westerners, public lands, public lands management, who do you have on your list for Secretary of Interior? Yes, yeah, so, and, and I, I will concede, uh, this is driven a little bit by by personal uh, desire, uh, because I, as you indicated, I, I did work for uh, Senator Martin Heinrich of New Mexico for seven years. I think he is a tremendous public servant. He is on the short list uh, to be Secretary of the Interior. I, I hope he gets it. Also, the benefit of tapping Senator Martin Heinrich to be Secretary of the Interior is not only do you get a fantastic Secretary of the Interior, uh, somebody who knows the issues in and out, who's committed to tribal sovereignty, who knows public lands, and will bring a passion to the job unlike we've seen, but with that Senate vacancy, you absolutely guarantee increasing the diversity inclusion ratios of the Senate. Because in New Mexico, Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham will absolutely appoint a woman and or minority into that Senate seat. So it's a, it's a twofer in that regard. So I, I hope Senator Heinrich is, is tapped for this, for both of those reasons. Other names on the list for interior do include uh, Senator Tom Udall, who is retiring, also from New Mexico. Then you also have Congresswoman Deb Holland, uh, for, again, from New Mexico. So you're seeing a trend here, Dean, right. about New Mexicans, New Mexicans being poised to, to take over interior. That is uh, not uncommon with interior, given that most people are tapped from the Intermountain West. Uh, Deb Holland would also be a, a, a historic pick because it, it would be the first Native American to run the Interior Department, and the Interior Department does run the Bureau of Indian Affairs. So we'll see. I, I think this pick also will take some time to suss out, and will be either a you know closer to closer to, to Christmas pick uh, than something that's eminent. Well, you mentioned it, and I, I think if you asked most Americans what the largest agency in the federal government is, they'd say the Pentagon. But it's actually Health and Human Services, probably That's the right. most, yeah, probably the most consequential HHS secretary in the modern era uh, overseeing the pandemic response. Who's in the running? So very, some very talented people. And, and it's, it's changing day by day. It, well, I, the people aren't changing day by day. Who is rumored to be tapped is changing day by day. So it looks like the three finalists for this right now include Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham of New Mexico, Dr. Vivek Murthy, uh, who's a former U.S. Surgeon General, and then Governor Gina Raimundo of Rhode Island. And Governor Raimundo was, has really just been kind of added to the list in the last like week or so. We, we had always heard about Dr. Murthy. We had always right. heard about Governor Lujan Grisham. And then all of a sudden, in comes Governor Raimundo. And now it, it seems like she is going up that list like a bullet. It's the, 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 the rumors flying around the city right now is that, that she has pole position and that they, they really love uh, the work she's done. They love her executive experience because, as, as you have indicated, uh, this is the largest department, you know, by, by budget. I mean, you're, they're, 
they're running all of Medicare on top of all the other you know public right. health programs that we have in that we have in this in this country. And and she has you know the executive chops to do it. The two other candidates, Governor uh, Lujan Grisham and and Dr. Murthy, very very talented people. I think folks will be happy with we 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 could be comfortable with any one of those picks. But it looks like, like I said, Governor Raimundo right now could be tapped and we're hearing that they're going to roll this out as early as next Monday. Steve, the Attorney General leads the, the Department of Justice. I feel like I've seen a dozen names floated for this. Huge implications for national security, huge implications for oversight of the administration itself. You got any favorites for Attorney General? I have a favorite. Uh, it's also <laughs> driven by, 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 by my personal proclivities. You know, look, before I got to become your colleague, I got to have a wonderful career working in Congress. And the first member of Congress I worked for was a gentleman from Los Angeles named Javier Becerra, who is just a wonderful, wonderful person. He was a great, well, he is a great public servant. He is now the Attorney General of California. He's no longer a member of the House of Representatives. I adore him. He's a friend. He officiated my wedding. On top of that, he is just fantastic at his job and is on the short list to be United States Attorney General, uh, should be given very serious consideration, is being given very serious consideration. And, you know, not for nothing, but when we talk about diversity, when we talk about the cabinet looking like America, not all cabinet agencies uh, are created equal. There is uh, what's referred to as the big four. Right. And and the big four are defense, state, treasury, justice. A Democratic administration has never had a minority cabinet secretary or or attorney general in the big four, ever. And so right now, we have two of the big four named. We have treasury and we have state. And very talented people. Anthony Blinken is going to be a great secretary of state, but he's he's not a person of color. Janet Yellen is going to be a fantastic Secretary of the Treasury, first woman Secretary of the Treasury, which is awesome, and we're breaking that barrier. As a father of daughters, I love that, but she's not a person of color. So that leaves defense, and that leaves AG. And you look at some of the other uh, folks that are being considered for AG, talented people, right? Very talented people. Uh, Senator Doug Jones, who unfortunately lost his race, uh, is on the short list. Uh, Sally Yates, a former deputy attorney general, is on the short list. She's fantastic. But again, not, not, people of, not people of color. Now, there are some great people of color on the short list beyond, beyond Attorney General Becetta, including uh, Stacey Abrams, Jay Johnson, uh, and, and uh, Dev, uh, Devil Patrick, former governor of Massachusetts. Um, and and I, I actually am hearing that, that his, his stock is rising lately through this process. You know, of, of all of the major cabinet picks, this has been eerily quiet in terms of the rumor mill and speculation and kind of where they are in the process. I, it is my hope that Attorney General Becerra is, is tapped for this, but I do hope that if, if nothing else, if, if Javier is not given the nod, that one of these positions, Attorney General uh, or Defense, is given to uh, a person of color. We can finally put that, that mistake, that Democratic administration mistake behind us. Yeah, it's Democratic administration. I want to stress because yeah. you think I, of, I, uh, I, I fully concede that. I fully concede that we have yeah. had a Hispanic Attorney General in the past. We have, and that and that was that was Alberto Gonzalez, Bush forty, uh, Bush forty three. Right. 
Well, let's close out on the last of the big four. Uh, early on, Michelle Flournoy, former Undersecretary of Defense in the Obama administration, be the first woman as SecDef, seems to have faded recently. You heard a lot about her in the early going. Uh, who's still in the yeah. running to lead the Pentagon? Fading, but not out, right? Like the candle, the candle isn't burning as bright, but it's still burning. And I would not be surprised if she is still uh, tapped to, to lead defense because we've never had a woman run the Defense Department. But you're right. It, it's not a fait accompli like it seemed to be once was. We are hearing that uh, Jay Johnson, former Secretary of Homeland Security, stock is, is rising here. And again, this, this gets back to the diversity issue. We've also never had an African-American run, run the Defense Department. And so there is just a lot of a lot of back and forth right now. You know, it was it was interesting when they rolled out, you know, the national security picks, uh, you know, state, homeland, DNI, ambassador to the UN. They didn't roll out defense, and that's clearly because they are struggling with this decision. Not for lack of talent, not for lack of talent, but just who who's going to be the right person based on you know what the president and the vice president are going to need. So it, it, I I still actually think. Uh, Michelle Flournoy could get tapped, but it would not surprise me if Secretary Johnson is also called up to serve. Well, so much more to come in the weeks and months ahead. We'll be here to break it all down again, I'm sure. Steve Haro, thanks for joining me on 14th and G. Dean, always good to be with you. I appreciate you as always.